Listen for a word of God in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning with verse 5. I'll be reading from the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson's work. The men said, Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here. He's raised up. Remember how he told you when we were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up again. Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and they broke the news of all of this to the eleven and the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with, with them, who kept telling them these things, telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it. They thought that they were making it all up. But Peter, he jumped to his feet and he ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and he saw a few grave clothes. That's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. The same day, two of the women were walking to the village, Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize him. He asked, What's this you're discussing so intently as you're walking along? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for this word. Now what? This is a reasonable question the morning after yesterday. Now what? At La Sierra, we've just come through these four days with Jesus. We were with Jesus and the sleepy disciples at the Last Supper. We followed him into Gethsemane, where Jesus asked, is it possible to have a go-around instead of a go-through? We were with Mary and Mary as they sat opposite the tomb and stared all day long. And then the surprising ending Sunday morning when the tomb is empty? Surprise still not solved. So it's an appropriate question. What's next? What do we do the day after yesterday? Sunday, last Sunday, did you see the plane flying above Riverside? We warned you about it, moving from east to almost west, almost all the way to the church. Stopped around Tyler Mall. If you looked up in the sky, you could see the banner, Practice Resurrection. Around 12.15 Sunday afternoon, I got a picture from our mayor, Rusty Bailey, who stood out in his front yard and looked up and saw the banner and sent us a message. Love it. Bless you, La Sierra. We saw pictures of some of you on Sunday afternoon also. You went to your own porches and you took him up on that invitation to sing Amazing Grace from our own homes and driveways. A small group gathered on the steps of the church on Sunday singing that song together. But now we're here. What happens the day after yesterday? What happened for you Monday morning after resurrection? In, in these... Uh, in these next days and weeks, we'll move to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24 is our home this morning. Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, open it there. And uh, we notice that Jesus is, it, he's come through, well, he's with a group of disciples. Let me back up. The women have come to the tomb. The tomb is empty. The women go back to the group, the men who've stayed behind, and they tell them what they've seen. The women are surprised. The tomb, is, the tomb is open. The tomb is empty. There are men with white garments who'd come out of nowhere. 
So they run to tell the men who stayed back home what they've seen. And the men say to them, this is just idle. Check your Bible translation. This is an idle tale. What you're saying, it's just like a story you made up. It's just like gossip. Check to see what your Bible says. This is madness. This is all nonsense, some Bible translations say. The group that stayed behind said to the two who witnessed, to the women who witnessed, you're making it up. It can't possibly be. A more generous interpretation could be you're exhausted. Or grief. Grief got the better part of you. Is that what it is? It, it, it's grief. You're not seeing straight. The men don't believe the women that Sunday morning. I don't quite have the internal resources to deal with that little detail this week. We notice it and we keep moving. It's enough though for Peter. Peter heard. So Peter got up and Peter went to the tomb. He looks inside and he shakes his head in disbelief. I, I mean, I saw what I saw. The tomb is empty. Like the women, we saw what we saw. The tomb is empty. This isn't an idle, de this isn't an idle uh, detail, an idle tale that we are telling. The tomb is really empty. All of these disciples have been surrounded by death, absorbed by death. They're ready for death rituals this particular Sunday morning. They've come They've come to formally like bury the body of Jesus. They're surrounded by death, and they've been confronted with life. No one stood around that morning at the empty tomb shouting out, The king lives forever. Our sins are forgiven. Long live King Jesus. No one would have said anything like this that particular Sunday morning. The most common response to resurrection stories, it turns out that it's disbelief and confusion. It's the Gospel of Matthew, in fact, if we looked there real quick, we would see in the Gospel of Matthew, they're so challenged by the fact that there's no body that those who killed Jesus the day before, they put out the word, hey, hey, just start a rumor, say anything. I know, say that the disciples came and took his body because we can't handle this embarrassment. Yeah, they're all surrounded by death, but pretty soon they'll all be confronted with life. We're in a long line of humans wondering what life after resurrection could possibly mean. This is not a diminished detail in our faith journey, church family. It's at the center of our story on display is a love so great it stays in solidarity and suffers. A love so unshakable it overwhelms death and destroys it. We sang a hymn last weekend, The Old Rugged Cross. I've always wondered why there isn't another chorus to that song, so I'll cherish the old empty tomb. It's a cross and an empty tomb in the center of our story. It'll take 25 years before someone will say the cross and the empty tomb, that's the gospel. Apostle Paul says that. Read it, 1 Corinthians 15. It'll take a few more decades before another author in Colossians says, you know what was happening? It was the image of, happening. It was the image of the invisible God in Jesus on the cross through the blood of the cross. Jesus, Jesus is, uh, God is reconciling us all with peace. I am not asking you this morning, though, to recite, memorize tradition. I'm asking you, what does this story say to you? 
I'm asking, what's the value of these old scenes in our lives today in a world, in a world surrounded by death? Are we open to being confronted with life? I have this favorite moment in Luke 24, if your Bibles are still open. A favorite moment for me is very understated and under-narrated in verse 14. With the resurrection in Jerusalem in the rearview mirror, there's just two disciples on the road. They're moving towards the next village. It's a seven-mile hike to Emmaus. Verse 14 says, They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. They're not chatting about the superficial and the trivial here. They're not gossiping about people. Oh, did you hear what he said and what she did? How do I know this? How do I know that they're not talking about the trivial? Because pretty soon Jesus joins them. They don't recognize him. But when Jesus joins, he says, what are you talking about so intently as you're walking along? They look at Jesus. Great response, by the way. They look at Jesus and say, who are you? Are you the only person in town who doesn't know what happened yesterday? Where have you been? Fine, we'll bring you up to speed. So they tell Jesus. There's a man, Jesus, a Nazarene. And he was a good man and a prophet. And we, and we thought he would be the one that would save Israel. And our leaders, and our, our, uh, they sentenced him to die and they crucified him. And, and that was three days ago. And the women, they went to the tomb this morning and they've confused us with the story. They've come home completely confusing because early in the morning they went to the tomb and they said, there's no body. But no one can see that he's alive, but there's no body. So some of our friends went over to the tomb and they checked it out and they said the same thing. It's empty, just what the women said. But they, we haven't seen Jesus. This is how stories take up residence in our lives and we tell them and we retell them and we listen and we ask questions and we wait for answers. This is how stories shape us and form us and they take time. It's a seven mile walk that morning from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They tell the story again. What are you talking about so intently? We're talking about everything that's just happened in the last three days. We say it again, we listen, we ask questions. It's a simple thing, a conversation. And it turns out that the risen Jesus is present right there at the intersection of something so simple as a conversation. It's basic, friends. We don't need to open Bible software. We don't need to pull out Bible commentaries. There's no detail, some obscure detail we can uncover to get our aha moment. There aren't Greek words to explore that will expand our thinking. We don't need trained theologians or social scientists or church historians, though we love them all. We don't need them. Sometimes things are simple. Resurrection happens in conversations with companions on the journey. Who are your resurrection companions this week? Who are your resurrection partners and friends this week? Beyond chatting about the rain and what we're making for dinner and beyond chatting about what series we should binge next and the Disney sing-along and all of what distracts us with these temporary feel-good moments because we're in a world surrounded by death. Who have been our resurrection conversation partners this week? And did we find time, any time during this week, to talk about the resurrection? 
What, what is it like to be surrounded by death when we have a God who promises to interrupt with life? That was the assignment we gave Crystal Chavez last weekend, our artist who did the chalk drawing. So many of you asked about those drawings. We had a conversation with Crystal this week, and we asked her some of the questions you had asked about. Listen to a couple of minutes from Crystal Chavez. Crystal Chavez, we are glad to welcome you in a conversation this morning. Lots of people want to ask you about your art. Um, first of all, you're from Riverside. Yes, I'm from Riverside. I've lived here for more than half my life now, so I basically say I'm from Riverside. And a La Sierra kid? Yes, La Sierra Academy and the university. And so oh, I think I already know the answer to this. Eventually an art major. Yes, eventually an art major, graphic design major. There's a longer story there, Church. Ask her sometime. <laughs> um, people have wondered specifically how chalk. How did you decide to do chalk and chalkboard when we asked you to gift us with some art this week, last weekend? How did you decide? Um, um, I've been doing chalkboard drawings for a little bit. We have a giant chalkboard wall here in my parents' house, and it's just kind of a fun, new, messy medium that I just wanted to start working more with, and yeah. Um, we asked you, you know, kind of gave you a little bit of direction, but not much. People are curious how you came up with these particular images. Yeah, so what, it was, <clears throat> what I was given were um, kind of four words um, and themes or topics. Um, and so from there, I was just trying to come up with like as much of a simple image um, that represented that word as best as possible. And yeah, at first I came up with kind of biblical themed um, images, but we wanted to kind of go more contemporary and we started to kind of just think about the situation that we're in now and uh, kind of turned COVID pandemic theme, but it just felt very relevant and it was kind of easier to come up with the come up with the images for those. Hmm. <clears throat> um, I'm going to guess, well, well, let me ask, when you're creating this art, what's going on inside of you? And how, how does the art interact with you, even as you're creating it? What's happening inside of you? Yeah, um, when I'm creating, uh, it, it takes a while to kind of imagine the whole thing. So I, I end up doing a lot of staring um, at the blank board and I take a lot of time before I even touch the chalkboard. And while I'm doing that, I take a lot of steps back um, while I'm sketching, while I'm drawing to make sure everything is still kind of going to plan. And um, there was a moment when I was uh, drawing the, the second one, which is the one with all the faces um, wearing the masks. And creating that one was kind of interesting because I start creating these faces that are kind of looking back at me. And eventually I feel like I'm surrounded by faces from working with reference images also. And um, it was very interesting because all of a sudden I feel like, yeah, like I'm reminded that, yeah, this is what we're in right now. And all these different people are experiencing this in their own way. And um, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting moment for that one. You um, become part of it, would you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that makes me want to ask, like, you know, when you're creating a gift for us, you know, it was for us, but it, does something come back to you? Does some kind of 
little divine blessing or graces of some kind? Does something come back to you? Um, I guess in a way, um, because well, after they're they're put up and I get to see all these really nice, encouraging comments, you know, I, it while I'm drawing the last two, maybe I start to think about like, yeah, this is bigger than just myself. And, but I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still being able to be busy in a meaningful way. And I feel like I'm part of something that can help other people and um, creating art, you know, everyone can interpret it in their own way. And then in that way, I feel like, um, I don't know, that's kind of, we're kind of giving each other um, something to, uh, to interpret and, and to think about, especially during this, this situation. Yeah, reflect, would you, uh, the last installation, the one we did Sunday morning, Resurrection Morning. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that one for a second? Yeah, that one, the uh, the word was candor, and it's kind of similar to honesty, but it's more like a bold honesty. Um, and so I really wanted to use colors that maybe represented that boldness, but also the image itself um, is a sunrise, and it's all of these people being able to kind of hold each other again and be close and kind of face uh, this new world in a way, or a new day, or face like the calm after the storm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, it does. It does orient us. It was a beautiful one to end on, and the collection altogether. I feel like you have something in your hand, um, <laughs> yeah. some kind of pandemic art that is. It really has a way of communicating to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and church, those of you who want to follow Crystal online, find her on Instagram, Crystal Chavez. And we're so grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be a part of it. Did you hear Crystal say, sometimes it's messy. Sometimes you sit still and you just stare for a while. It looks like you're doing nothing. It can take a long time, actually. Did you hear Crystal say the longer she created, the more she could sense she was becoming a part of what she created? The more she could imagine a group of friends by Sunday morning standing arm in arm and looking ahead to a sunrise, a future still out in front of them. Crystal, she had this assignment. What what happens when we're surrounded by death but resurrection life pushes through? And with her art, she's helped us. Have you noticed not one of those four pieces features a single or a solo person. All of those, all of those pieces of art, there's more than one or groups of people practicing resurrection together. Luke 24, there are groups of people scattered throughout. Look for yourself, the word they are them, all throughout the stories now that we'll be studying these next few weeks. And watch for this Jesus who just won't go away. Jesus keeps emerging. He talks to a disciple who's full of disbelief. He's down by the lake showing them how to cook fish. He walks away, but he comes back later and he's hungry and asks, what's for dinner? Some, Jesus could leave, but he doesn't. I find that to be the most interesting detail. He's teaching the disciples how to practice resurrection. That's a word, practice resurrection. We've borrowed that phrase, actually, from Eugene Peterson, who borrowed it from the poet Wendell Berry, to practice resurrection. What does it mean? Peterson's helpful. He says it's not like practicing a golf swing or practicing scales on a trombone or even practicing how to bake bread until we get it just right or a a new language until we can speak it well. It's not like that. 
It's more like this, he says, if you're in the healing arts, in a, in a medical field, you don't practice on sick people. You enter into the practice of healing. You surround yourself with the practice of healing. You immerse yourself. You make yourself at home. It becomes your habit, healing. It's more like that, Eugene Peterson says. So we, we enter into this practice of a life permeated by the companionship of a resurrected Jesus. It's not that once we practice it, we'll get better at it. No, no, no. It's less that, and it's more a habit daily. It's a habit to surround myself with the companionship of Jesus. It's interesting to me that if the point everything Jesus endured those four days, Thursday, Friday, Sabbath, Sunday, if all of that is summarized in an empty tomb to prove that God's really the biggest sovereign in all of the cosmos, Jesus could actually leave now. Jesus could go, be with God, sit with God, do that next thing. Yet Jesus lingers. He takes more time helping these disciples learn how to practice this resurrection. What will companionship with Jesus look like day by day by day? Jesus, an abiding reality right now. Jesus, an abiding reality in our conversations, a transforming reality in our relationships and our homes. Jesus, present now. Have we gotten the message yet that our world is forever changed? I'm hearing it every direction I look. Whatever our world is, it is something completely different. What will our new world be? People are asking this question. We see you 11th grade class, the juniors. You can apply for college now without SAT scores, without ACT scores. Is that even possible? Apparently it is possible. In a post-pandemic world, we're jumping the curb on all kinds of things, like how to deliver education, how to go to the doctor, how to have an orthodontist checkup without being present. In a post-pandemic world, all of these everyday things we will now relearn. How to take ukulele lessons and yoga online, train your dog, sure, why not? How to be a team when you're not all together, how to work without commuting every day. I'm hearing this everywhere, church. You must be too. What is the world that's coming to us when the pandemic breaks? The post-postmodern world, some are saying, will become the post-pandemic world. And what will that world be? It's not too soon to ask ourselves, and what will the church be? Many people are asking that. If you've thought about that, drop a comment in the comment section where you're listening online today. What will the church be in the post-pandemic world when we can actually all gather again? In a post-pandemic world, I'll tell you the, the thing that I've been working on, what's been bubbling up inside of me in a post-pandemic world, the tribe of Jesus better sharpen our story. If it's true that the companionship of the resurrected Jesus changes everything, we need to talk about this all over again. The, the find resurrection companions, tell these stories again and again, listen, ask questions. What do these old scenes mean in a world that seems to be surrounded by death when we know we have a God who has life breaking through? So I'll go first. 
What do these old, old scenes mean? Thursday night, not that long ago, we celebrated communion. For the first time in the history of our church, we celebrated communion in our homes. And the cameras came to my home. And we celebrated communion in the room right out there. It was the most uncommunion communion I've ever experienced. I'm going to tell you the truth right now. We turned the camera on and Kirby and I began and we began to say the words, but the anxiety, you've never been into my home like I've never been into yours. What is it you're looking at and how will you be judging me? And the next thing that distracted me was Pastor Vadim because he's in his home doing the same thing, only I haven't seen all of his video before we begin here. So we begin to say words and take the bread and we're holding the cup and we mess up and we got to stop the camera and start again. We start all over, only we drink the juice when we were supposed to eat the bread, stop the camera, start again. We look at each other, Kirby and I, all right, let, he's got crumbs on his lips, I've got crumbs on his lips, wipe the things off, start the camera again. We've got two more pieces of communion bread now. I mean, we need to get this right. I got so frustrated. I was feeling this anger well up inside of me. Let me stop. Let me just stop. I'm going to go to bed. We'll turn the cameras back on in the morning. And so that's what I did. When I went, when I laid down and tried to go to sleep, I mean, I could hear my grandmother's voice in my head. No one's supposed to come to the communion table angry. And here I am trying to lead communion. I could hear my grandmother's voice inside of my head. And then I remembered the story of that night. Here is Judas sitting at the table with Jesus all the way to the end of the meal, and Jesus knows Judas will betray him. Judas stays with the, the tribe of Jesus all the way till that moment when he decides to betray Jesus. No one is asked to leave the table that night. No disciples are dismissed for bad behavior or being angry. These are wonderful, merciful, extravagant, gracious gestures of Jesus around the table. And I am reminded our God is like that. What do these old scenes do in our lives today, church? What is the value of telling these old stories again and again of practicing resurrection? Maybe in a post-pandemic world, it's to persuade more people. Maybe it's to persuade ourselves all over again.